Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. Uh, we are your host as usual again, Eric Spropolis. So you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Um, in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-host Corbin Ford. Um, just to want to remind everyone, uh, we are back to a different style of show. If you missed last week's episode, we now are back to our six-segment style of show covering the 94 feet of the NBA court. Um, and so... You know, and we're doing this episodes moving forward. We'll be doing it in this style, and then also another announcement is that we will be doing soon, starting this coming week in a couple of days, we'll be doing a second episode each week, releasing on either Thursday night or Friday morning. It'll be a short and sweet episode, but just something to look forward to. So you can have two episodes of the podcast coming each week. Uh, but enough of me rambling. Let's get to Corbin because um, I know Corbin's got a lot to talk about today. So Corbin, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, Eric. Thanks again. Happy to be here, and also I'm just excited it's been a great week so far um again just follow my twitter stoned out there corbin nba corbin ford nba and yeah just ready to get started all right that sounds good well corbin i know you uh came up with the baseline question so uh i'll let you kind of introduce the segment first (laughs) all right sounds good we're about to go to the baseline let's get it all right So, Eric, the question I actually had for you, thinking of the baseline, was regarding the Phoenix Suns. And we know they've been the talk of (laughs) the NBA town the last week, week and a half, two weeks, just from the embarrassing opening night blowout to the change in in management as far as coaching is concerned. Earl Watson is out. Jay Toronto is in. And... They've had a very interesting week since all that's happened. Eric Bledsoe, can't miss him, just sent home regarding something about a barbershop? Something. Um, so here we are now, and the Suns are 2-4, and four, but they played drastically different and, and seem to be an actual NBA team now. And Being 2-4, and four, they could have been 3-3, three and three actually, if they hadn't missed a couple of shots down the stretch against Portland. And so my question for you is, what, well, first, what are your thoughts about Phoenix, just what you've seen this past week? And secondly, if Phoenix had made a couple of shots down that stretch and pulled out a win and been 3-3 three and three instead of 2-4, and four, would you think anything of Phoenix differently then? Would you think anything different of them, being that they're 500? Yeah, the Suns, I mean, yeah. the Suns' first, first week and a half were just so terrible. I mean, it was laughable, it was <laughs> pathetic. Um and so we we get them firing their coach. We have Eric Bledsoe tweeting out that he doesn't want to be here, which he said it was something about a, a barbershop, a hair salon, I think, with his wife or something like that, which, of course, the Suns GM said he just didn't believe. Um, but the thing is with, with the Suns and, and really any team that gets their coach fired so early in the season, the narrative is that the coach lost their locker room. And so usually what you see happen is you see players play – even harder than they would normally just to prove that, yeah, that was true, that the coach did lose us. Like, we weren't listening to him. So we have to play harder to win a couple of games to show more effort to really make sure all the blame is put on Earl Watson. So that's why I think it's tough to judge their past week. Um, you know, they had some good wins, obviously. They beat the Jazz, but the Jazz were on the second night of a back-to-back. The Kings are really bad, so beating them doesn't seem very impressive. Um, but they were they did fight hard against the Blazers, who, you know, could very well be a playoff team this year and are always tough at home. So, you know, they played well. They played with effort. They have some wins under their belt. Their effort has been a lot, a lot better. Oh, my God, it's like a nightfall <laughs> difference. But the thing is that, 
I'm kind of on the opinion of you just have to wait and see because, again, the Suns could be like any other team, like the Rockets. When the Rockets had Kevin McHale fired like 11 or 12 games into the season, they played hard for like a week and a half, and then they went back to their bad effort. So will the Suns team continue playing this hard under Jay Triano? That could very well be the case. Maybe Triano actually does just connect with the players more. But I also think it's very likely that this team is still going to be very bad. So I think that after a week or two wear off, maybe we get into November, even closer to Thanksgiving, I could see this team just reverting back to being a really, really bad team, not trying that much. We'll see if Bledsoe and Tyson Chandler are even on the team by then. Um, So ultimately, I think that it's nice to see the the Suns playing harder and getting some wins. But ultimately, I think I'm just, I have to wait and see. I need to check in with the Suns in a couple of weeks to see if they're still playing this hard or if it's just that kind of, Uh, blame the coach, make sure the coach gets the blame kind of narrative that every team goes through when their coach gets fired early on in the season. Um, That's just my thought. I mean, you might have, you might disagree or you might agree. I just think we should wait and see and see if the Suns are still playing this hard in a couple of weeks. I I agree. I actually was of the thought that we probably, and I I wanted to ask you this as well. We probably made a lot out of nothing regarding this whole start. Yes, there was a lack of effort. Yes, Earl Watson probably wasn't the best of tacticians and you know those losses weren't close by any stretch of the imagination so a lot of attention was put on them but i think that we're kind of reaching the mean of what this team is where you know that i mean i definitely feel you have mike james at point guard eric bledsoe right now if he was if he was playing and yes he want to be here i think i could have been settled in house you know didn't have to fizzle the way it did you know mm-hmm. on all of us but mm-hmm. i think they're playing now as they eventually would be playing. And, you know, they had their real lows, but they're kind of reaching what we think of them as a team. They're not going to be a great team. They're going to be one of the, the bottom dwellers in the West, in the NBA, but at least they'll put up a fight. You know, I don't know if we made too much out of their slow start, and I wanted to ask you that, but I think perhaps we did. Yeah, I think it's also, I think it's yeah. possible that we did as well. But, but the thing is that when you see a team get so, to lose two of their three first games by 40 plus points, including being down by 58 at home in the home opener, it's it's just like yeah. so rare and so just embarrassing that you have to kind of make a big deal out of it. Obviously now people made a big deal about it because those three losses ultimately led to their firing of their coach, which is a, which is a significant move for any franchise at any point in the season. Um so maybe we, you know, maybe taking people made too big of a deal of the losses themselves, but I think that that three game stretch, you know, was really important because it ultimately led to their coach being fired, and you know now it's leading to this better play because the coach got fired because they want to make sure they prove that yeah it was the coach's fault and see you know they're basically saying see we can play hard now because we got our you know the coach is fired and we have a coach that we really like here so that. that's the thing mm-hmm. so you know ultimately I think it's just. You know, the losses maybe people kind of took too much about, too too seriously, or to kind of analyzed them too much. But ultimately, those three games, those three losses did, you know, cost Watson his coaching, you know, I wouldn't say career, but his coaching future for at least the next, you know, year or two. He's not going to get another job after this. So um, I think maybe people did take too much about those losses or focus too much on them. But ultimately, they were pretty important since they made such a drastic change in the franchise kind of structure with their, with Watson being fired. Sure. Um, you got anything else to say about the Suns? Are we are we good to move on for for the full yeah, court press? We're ready. Let's let's get on full court press. All right. Let's and next we'll be uh, diving into the full court press uh, in just a moment. Get ready because it's time for the full court press. Go, go. 
Okay, in today's full court press, uh, we're going to talk about two surprisingly successful and impressive teams early on. Now, we are recording on Sunday, October 29th. Um, these two teams are the Orlando Magic, of course, on everyone's discussion board this week after their recent play, um, and the LA Clippers. Um, so the Magic, we'll start off with the Magic. They did play today and they did lose today. They're now 4-2. and two. They lost to the Hornets on the road. Um, it was a pretty comfortable loss. The Hornets were winning the, 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 basically the entire game. But I'm just going to throw some stats at you, Corbin, because I think that they are so shocking and alarming. I almost had to do a double take when I read them. Um, so here's some <laughs> stats for the, the Magic. This is coming into today's loss of the Hornets. Um, and some of them have changed. Some of them have not changed that much. So the Magic are second in offensive rating in the league at 112.8. They were 10th in defensive rating before today's game at 99.3. They were second, second in the league in net rating at 13.5. They were second in effective field goal percentage at 56.9. They were also second in true shooting percentage at 60.5. And they were actually somehow third in pace. They were the third fastest team in the league. And we're still talking about the Orlando Magic. We're not talking about the Rockets um, or the Warriors or anything like that. We're talking about the Orlando Magic being the third fastest team in the league. So those are all obviously great numbers. Obviously, it's only five games. Now it's six games that they played today, but these numbers were for their first five games. Those numbers, are they're not going to have the second best offense in the league the entire season. They're not going to be the third fastest team in the league. They're not going to have, probably not going to have the 10th best defense, though I think that they're built to be a pretty good defensive team. But the problem, or the concern I have with the Magic, obviously there's some good signs. They're taking more threes. Aaron Gordon's taking more threes and hitting them. Fournier looks great. Um, Vucevic is stepping out to the three-point line and doing it fairly well. The only problem or concern I have with the Magic is their, you know, shooting numbers. Because as a team, they're hitting over 45% of threes, which obviously is not going to be sustained, especially because last year they were not in the upper upper echelon of three-point shooting teams percentage-wise. Um, and then looking at the, their players themselves, Aaron Gordon coming into today's game was hitting 73% of his threes. <laughs> Evan Fournier wow. was hitting 56% of his threes. Augustine, DJ Augustine hitting 54%. Alfred Payton was hitting 50%. Um, and Vucevic and Jonathan Simmons were both hitting 45.5% of their threes. Obviously, that's not going to stay. All of them are going to drop into the low to mid 30s. Some of them, maybe like Fournier will stay up in the upper, th- upper 30s, low 40s maybe. But the thing is, or the question with the Magic really Obviously, they've had a great start. They're shooting the ball well. They're playing good enough defense. They're playing at a really fast pace. But the, the question is, can the Magic sustain a top 10 offense when their shooting inevitably falls off? Because it's going to fall off. No team sh- hits over 46% of their three-pointers for a season. Um, so the thing is, can when their shooting falls off, will their offense stay elite? Will it still stay top 10? Can they have a top 10 defense for the entire season? Because once their offense drops off, they're going to need that defense to win games. Um, so despite their 4-2 start, I think there are some concerning factors about this team, mainly due to their shooting being way you know, way unrealistic so far for in terms of being for the entire the course of the season. So right, let's just get your thoughts on the Magic, how, you, how you've seen them play. They're 4-2 somehow, and they're the third fastest team. I'm, I just am so amazed by the Magic actually being good and kind of fun to watch. That I need to get, I need to get your your thoughts on the Magic and their hot start. <laughs> they have been, they have been something. It's 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 crazy to think <laughs> I was looking at the jump <laughs> earlier this week and they were first in the conference and I think they still are. But the funny thing about it was this: the last time that they were number one in the Eastern Conference rankings at any point of any season since 2012. Hmm. 
and I was like, just that alone, I was like, okay, that's that's something. These ma- this Magic team has been enjoyable to watch. They've been free flowing on offense up and down. It's amazing just how hot that they are. I definitely agree with you. And it's not oh, 2016 Chicago Bulls where it's a bunch of shooters that you know can't really shoot, and all of a sudden they surprise you. These, the, I think that the Magic, they're going to go down. I look at Eric Gordon as somewhere between 33 and 35 percent three point shooter, like as his average. So right now he's shooting otherworldly and obviously it won't last forever but i i think that it can last their pace as you mentioned third and league and pace is, is crazy and that i think is more of an offensive philosophy that frank vogel has now instilled i think that even when their shots don't go down as they inevitably will fall off even today they had i mean offensively they, they had good looks it just wasn't coming down but their pace their ball movement and the way they get into spots, the way they know what shots they're looking for. I think that's sustainable. Even Nikola Vucevic, where last year he was talking about how he didn't really want to embrace the three-point shot. He was, you know, he does most of his damage in the post. He considers himself a post threat or a mid-range threat. He's taken to three-point shooting and shooting a, a crazy high effectiveness. I, I think I think that I think that they can. I think that they can keep at least the top ten offense. I do have one concern, and that is when Alfred Payton returns. I, I wanted to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on that, actually, but I'm, I'm mm-hmm. unsure, you know, his style of play, when you have a, a combo guard, I look at, in DJ Augustine, who, you know, he, he's more, I look at him as a Patty Mills type of point guard mold. He gets you into your offense, but he's not a, a ball controller, you know, and he's a very good off-ball spot-up shooter. Yeah. And I think that yeah. aids to having an open lineup where everyone on their starting five can shoot. I think that is key. And so when Alfred Payton gets back, how will his his reworking him into the roster, how will that change how they play? Will Aaron Gordon have the ability to to just wreak havoc on defenses because he has so much space around him? And that will obviously be stifled when you take out Augustine and put back in Peyton. But I wanted to hear what you thought about that, just in general. Yeah, I mean, I'm I mean, not a huge Alfred Payton fan offensively. Alfred. Defensively, he's a fine point guard. Offensively, obviously, we know about his shooting limitations. I mean, he can really cramp a floor spacing. But the other hand is, he's not a great passer, but he does find his teammates. So that might help out their offense in a different way. So, you know, it's kind of like he'll take away some floor spacing, but also add some playmaking and, and creation for others. So maybe he can get them better looks. Um, it's, it's kind of a give and take with Payton offensively. So the mm-hmm. question is, obviously, with Augustine starting um, without him. He obviously provides some floor spacing. As you said, he'll just get the offense into its flow and kind of get it where it needs to be, but he won't really take over himself. He won't really create for others, but he does provide the floor spacing, so that's the benefit of having him on the floor. And then you put in Peyton, who brings in more playmaking, better passing, um, can handle the ball better and kind of initiate things better, but then, of course, he can't shoot. So then that also cramps the floor spacing. And so depending on if Gordon can continue shooting this well, if Vucevic can continue shooting this well, if they can, if both of those guys fall off in the front court shooting wise, and they insert Peyton, that can put some real pressure on their starting lineup in terms of floor spacing. So it's kind of a risky thing with Peyton coming back. I'm not a huge Alfred Peyton fan, and I, I'm, it's interesting because the, the Magic brought in a new front office this offseason, and we don't know what their thoughts are on Peyton yet either. They don't seem too in love with him 
you know, as of now, and obviously he's going to be eligible for a contract extension, um, or possibly, you never know, Magic could be one of those dark horse teams who decide we don't like Peyton enough, we can put him and someone else and try and trade for Bledsoe, which I think would be very, very interesting. I was thinking, mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, oh I, did I just take one of your uh, next ideas? <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I was just about to tell you, no, I, I agree, though, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something, if, if I were the Magic, it's something I would explore, just because... I probably agree with the Magic new front office that I'm not high on Peyton and I just don't think that he can really be your point guard, especially in today's NBA with the lack of spacing he provides. And he's not like someone who can't shoot but provides elite playmaking and shot creation. He's just a, he's a good passer, a good creator for others. He's not great. So you know, the fact that he can't shoot really hurts him and limits him offensively. So I think if, if I were the Magic, I would be exploring a way to see if I can use Peyton and maybe something else to get Bledsoe because Bledsoe, while not a great shooter, is a better shooter, and I think a better defender, and I just think overall, obviously, a better player than Peyton. So, I'm not, I'm not high on Peyton. I think he can hurt them offensively when he comes back. He could probably help them defensively over Augustine, um, but I would be kind of exploring some Bledsoe potential Bledsoe trades um, if I were the Magic. I, I, I'm definitely agreeing with that. I was actually listening to Chris Axman on Almighty Baller Radio, and he brought up a point, and I was just, it's funny how I was just thinking about it when he mentioned it, but I'm looking at the return of Peyton, almost, it reminds me of shades of the Nelson Rondo point guard swap with the 2015 Mavs, because mm-hmm. if you remember, they were one of the, they were, I think they were sitting at one point at the top, as far as offense efficiency, as just being one of the top 10 offenses in the NBA, and they made that move, and I remember just wailing to myself, because I'm a big 2K fan, about how now this whole team is tightened just because you take out a, a very solid three-point shooter and maybe not as great a playmaker in Jameer Nelson and bring in a Rondo, who is a great playmaker but needs the ball in his hands, kind of holds hostage the entire offense and is nowhere near a good shooter. And I look at that, I mean, Peyton's not going to become Rondo <laughs> toxic to this team, especially since he's was a part of it going in now. But I'm in agreement with you in the sense that you know, he's, he's not a shooter, and, and he does get them into their pace. He will continue to keep the pace that they've been keeping, but little else. And I think that Aaron, Aaron Gordon's rise, as far as how good he's been playing, is in part to the fact that he's improved as a ball handler, definitely, but there's a lot more space for him now to actually go to work yeah. offensively, yeah. where he's not shoehorned to sing in a corner or, you know, or having to take shots that are not, that are not his forte, that are not his strengths. He's able to work with the ball, get comfortable with it, and that is obviously going to be tightened and taken away when Peyton comes back. And so it'll, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's a great comparison great. with those Mavericks, and um, you know, it and you know them potentially, you know, seeing that that could be the case, and then saying, you know what, we're not high on Peyton. We don't want to really give him the contract extension, anyways. Bledsoe's on the table. Bledsoe's trade value is probably at its lowest it could possibly be. Let's see if we can, you know, use Peyton and some other asset, whether that be a, a later pick or another, you know, player they have, his own year or something like that. Let's see if we can use that to try and get Bledsoe on this team that, you know, a team that going into the season, many people, I would say probably 99.9% of people thought would miss the playoffs. And yet here they sit at four and two. Obviously, it's only six games. They could go on a 
five game losing streak and then be back to under 500 comfortably. But this team, depending on how the front office views it, they see a weakened East, especially in the seven and eight seeds in the Eastern Conference. They see some teams banged up. Um, and they say, you know what, we're not gonna, we don't want to get Peyton the contract extension anyways. Why not see if we can get Bledsoe, who's under contract for the next two years, who's good defensively, who's a better shooter, who's experienced, who can still create for others um, and play make for others, and we think would fit into this team that's pretty lengthy, um, pretty versatile on the defensive end, and Bledsoe would just fit in right there perfectly. Um, well, it wouldn't be perfect, but it would be better than uh, Peyton would ever fit offensively, and, and you would probably still improve defensively by switching Peyton for Bledsoe and. That's why I think I think it'd be a good idea for the Magic to explore, and I would not be surprised in, in the coming week or two if we hear that the Magic sneak into the Eric Bledsoe trade rumors. I definitely could see that happening. It's going to be interesting to see moving forward. Absolutely. All right, let's move to a, a team in the West. So we're, we're covering both conferences today. So we're going to move to we're moving moving to LA to talk about the Clippers, who are four and one. Um, they just lost their first game last night to the Pistons, um, which is one of those Clipper games where it's like everyone's high on the Clippers, they're undefeated, blah, 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 and then all of a sudden they lose at home to the Pistons. So it's just the Clippers. But, um, you know, obviously the biggest key for the Clippers coming into the season was their health. And so far, obviously, they're healthy besides Milos Teodosic going down, which is just a shame because he's one of the the funnest, most fun players to watch on a nightly basis. Just his passing is incredible. Um, but besides that, obviously, it's only five games. But, you know, Blake, Gallo, Beverly are all staying healthy. And if they do so, I picked the Clippers to make the playoffs just thinking that if all of those guys play over 65 games, I think they'll just be good enough to make the playoffs. Obviously, we have to talk about Blake Griffin because he is playing like an MVP. I mean, so far this season... 24.8 points per game, 9.6 rebounds per game, 4.4 assists per game. He's shooting 48.3% from the field and including 41.4% on threes. And he's not just taking two or three three-pointers per game. He's taking nearly six three-pointers a game now, which is something no one expected probably. Um, you know, obviously, point, creator, Blake, whatever you want to call him now, is really fun. But he's even more deadly now that he can be. He's another threat off the ball and on pick and rolls and pick and pops because he can stretch out to that three point line now and hit the threes. Obviously, he's not going to sustain forty one percent for the entire year, but he could very well hit you know thirty seven, thirty eight percent throughout the year, which makes him just an even more of a threat. Can get him a couple more points per game. Um, you know what? What have you seen from Blake Griffin? How he's playing and how he's fitting in with this new new look Clipper team that's kind of carrying them to this hot start. Uh, I think it's been a revelation for Blake, and he's playing almost shades of that 2015 Blake Griffin. But I, I don't, I don't want to say better because injuries have kind of taken their toll. You see certain dunks; he's not getting up just as high, but he's putting it all together. He he he's still big and, and bruising enough that when he gets on switches and he gets a small defender, he's taken down the post, and more than likely he's going to get that shot. But he still has that speed to just get by centers and make them just look dumb, honestly. And with the plateau of shooters around him, it it's it's a whole new look for the Clippers. It's been it's been fun to watch them. And in the absence of having a Chris Paul who really needs to dominate the ball, the Clippers offense is is predicated on movement. You have Griffin and Gallo going around balls off ball screens, Patrick Beverly running pick and rolls or crashing the glass to keep the possession alive. And every time DeAndre Jordan rumbles toward that rim, you know you have to keep out for that too. So it's a lot of moving parts that make one cohesive weapon. And I think that's that's unlocked Blake Griffin in a way that is different than before because he had to coexist back then and now he actually is the main man. You know, he is the weapon. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and whenever Blake Griffin's been the main man, he's just been really exciting and really fun to watch. Obviously, he's been really fun and really good with Chris Paul, but now it's really him and some some good role players that fit with him, and he, he's just been great to watch. And you know, you mentioned the new like, some of the other pieces they got, like Beverly. I, I think it's great. You know, Beverly obviously I love was one of my favorite players in the NBA, obviously. Um, but the Clippers now, for the first time in a while, have some actual depth, especially in the backcourt. Obviously, Teodosic going down hurts that, but they've got some quality guards that can interchange if you need more shooting if you need more defense if you need more passing or whatever they've got you know their front core depth isn't great um on the wing they're okay wesley johnson sam decker there so they've got some depth they actually have to use that to their advantage they should not overplay their guys especially their injury prone guys like blake gallo and beverly um they should know when to use their bench you know doc should start staggering you know blake and deandre and gallo um which obviously was one of the biggest downfalls of of the cp3 era was that you know, Doc would never stagger the stars. He would always have CP3, Blake, and DeAndre play together and then sub off together, which always killed the Clippers. Um, yeah, so, I mean, so far, the Clippers are sixth in offensive rating at 106.9. They're first in defensive rating at 92.8, which obviously isn't going to sustain because I think I think the Spurs were, last, were first defensively last year and they gave up 99.8 um, points per 100 possessions for defensive rating. So obviously 92.8 is not going to hold up for the entire year. But their defense is looking really good so far. And that combination has led them to be first in net rating at 14.1. So they've been really elite. Obviously, they played the Suns and the Lakers. So those two of their five games were against bad teams, especially you know those Suns, which we just talked about in the baseline. Um <laughs> You know, the thing is, they just can't, they're coming off a loss to the Pistons. Their next game is tomorrow night against the Warriors. Obviously, we know the Warriors love to beat the Clippers. And so when the, the Warriors are playing right now against the Pistons. So we'll see. It'll be a second night of a back-to-back for the Warriors. But I think still that'll be a really good test, and a really good early season test for the Clippers in terms of if this team is really for real and can be a top five, top six seed rather than just sneaking into the playoffs at seven or eight. Actually, just thought of something. If if I may, I have a question for you. You just brought up the Clippers playing tomorrow, and I was thinking, do you think the Clippers have a better chance now against the Warriors than just the slaughter they had last year every time they matched up against Golden State? Um, it's interesting. On the one hand, I kind of want to say yes because I think the Clippers are playing, you know, with more free and they're just kind of enjoying it more and having more fun. I think you know, recently there've been some. Not so subtle shots at, at Chris Paul and, and all the, almost all the Clippers who were on last year's team, like Blake and stuff like that, were just saying, oh, I'm loving it so much more this year or we're having fun as, as a team because um, if, if you remember, Chris Paul had had some comments about how you know, when he was on the Clippers, no one really wanted to, you know, hang out as a team. They didn't really have great chemistry off the floor. And so now it seems like the Clippers are going out of their way to make sure that it sounds like they do have the chemistry off the floor, which I think is very interesting. Um, but then I have to remind myself that, you know, they lost Chris Paul and, you know, they replaced him, you know, with some pieces, right? You know, Beverly's there, but Beverly and Chris Paul are probably the same defensively to, to try and stop Steph Curry. They added Lou Williams, who's just a defensive uh, turnstile, which won't help against the Warriors, though his shooting could could help I guess um, and then they they got Decker and Harrell from that trade and both of those guys Harrell's not playing and Decker's maybe playing like five minutes a game so really it comes down to it being Beverly and, and Lou Williams in, in a matchup against the Warriors compared to say Chris Paul last year and I just don't think that helps them enough obviously maybe tomorrow night they could benefit from, from the Warriors being on the second night of a back-to-back um, but ultimately for this season series I just I don't think the Clippers are any better suited to face the Warriors this year I'm, I'm, maybe you agree or disagree Oh, yeah, I agree. I was thinking about it because I was like, okay, matchup-wise, not that Beverly is 
a better point guard than Chris Paul. I would never say that, but in the sense that he is a well-known Curry irritant, and mm-hmm. with the way that the Clippers have become less predictable in offense, because it would really just be Chris Paul bring the ball up, Chris Paul dribble out 15 seconds the clock, then Chris Paul, you know, after three or four ball screens, maybe a, a alley-oop attempt to DeAndre Jordan, he would force up a shot or, or throw to someone else to let go of a shot. So the offense was a lot more predictable. I think now, just because... They have, and not that Gallo's going to make a huge impact, but Gallo and, and Blake Griffin is playing more how he likes to play, where he is he can put he can put his imprint on every part of the game, especially on the offensive end. He doesn't have to really defer to anyone, but he can also do that if he chooses. I think it'll be a lot more of a competitive game. I mean, at one point, I think didn't the Warriors give the Clippers? I think it was it was preseason, but the Warriors gave the Clippers the kind of loss that Phoenix had at the beginning mm-hmm. of the regular season. So I mean, it, it got ugly, but. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't. I don't think that they have the personnel yet to really match up with Golden State, a la like the Houston Rockets or or the Thunder theoretically. But I think it'll be a lot more fun. Definitely a lot more closer. Yeah, I think. Well, just two quick points before we move on to the next segment. Um, I mentioned Gallinari, which I actually forgot about him for a second. He is someone who <laughs> is. He's not. I think he's best suited at guarding power forwards at this point. I just he doesn't have the mobility and la- lateral movement to guard guys in the perimeter, especially a guy like Kevin Durant, who he will be tasked with guarding tomorrow. Um, so he obviously has to be hitting his shots to really provide value because he's not going to provide them the defensive end of the floor. And then the other thing is that Blake Griffin adding. His a three-point shot, or what looks like a consistent three-point shot now, may help him out against the Warriors because in past seasons playing them, especially going in against Draymond Green, he would try and post up, and when you post up against Green and, and the Warriors' help defense, he would just get smothered. So now maybe you can put Blake Griffin in some pick-and-pops, get some mismatches, get him on smaller guys. Just him adding a three-point shot makes him more versatile, which could help him out against the Warriors because because he's had his struggles too. Um so interesting to see. I mean, the Warriors, I think, have beaten them seven straight times or maybe even eight straight times in the regular season. They always seem to enjoy doing it. Maybe they'll enjoy it less because Chris Paul's not there anymore. And I know Chris Paul was a key part of that quasi-rivalry. So I wouldn't really call it a rivalry because one team always wins. But it's certainly going to be interesting. <laughs> it's a really good test for the war- for the Clippers um, early on in the season to face the Warriors, no matter how tired or, or rested the Warriors are anyway. So I'm just interested to see how it happens. Yeah, it's definitely going to be fun to watch tomorrow. All right, well, that was the Full Court Press, and now in just a moment, we'll be moving to our half-court heave. All right, we are now going to dive into our half-court heave, which again is our prediction segment. Um, Corbin, I'll let you start off the segment with your half-court heave of the week. All right, so mine is concerning the LA Lakers. I'm going to be... A bit bold. We, I, I think we've had, or the, we, they had some very good games recently. Um, they lost to the Jazz in a rather ugly one. Their offense kind of disappeared. In fact, they're shooting 28% from three for the season. So their offense really has moments where it just sputters and barely comes up at all. But I'm seeing a game against the Pistons, a game against the Chubblers, and a game against the Nets. I My half-court heave is that the Lakers will pull out two of three. Hmm. Okay. I think okay. I think the Nets one will be an interesting one. I know D'Angelo Russell is definitely going to be coming in for 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 blood, especially playing LA. But I think that we can get that on them because it is Brook Lopez as well. I don't know if they have the personnel for that. I see the Trailblazers one being a fun one, but ultimately I I don't know about that one. But the Pistons game is the one I think is the gimme. The Pistons they're playing tonight. 
they they do have I think a game between now and Tuesday. I'm not quite sure. I checked and forgot earlier, but I think they can get a game against the Pistons, a game against the Nets. I think they could take two out of three this week. All right, all right. I see you with that prediction, that half court heave. Uh, mine's <laughs> mine's very different. Mine's actually kind of a season long prediction. Um, I'm not just I'm not limiting myself to this week, but my half court heave is that Otto Porter is going to win Most Improved Player of the Year. Um, this kind of oh. I kind of got this inspiration after watching him against the Warriors, in which he put up 29 points and 10 rebounds, including hitting seven of nine threes and a couple of tough shots down the stretch of that game. Even though the the, the Wizards ultimately lost, but I know, you know, we know that kind of most improved player of the year is kind of just known for going to a second or third year player, someone who's made a jump, even though players in their second or third year are supposed to make a jump, which always frustrates me. I mean, I feel like most improved should go to a guy, regardless of what year they're in, that makes the biggest jump. And so I know it's Porter's fifth year, but he's made another incredible jump this season so far. He's averaging 19.2 points per game. 8 rebounds per game, 2.2 assists per game, and 2.8 steals per game, which leads the league. He's shooting 55.7% from the floor and 50% on threes. Those numbers were from before today's win at the Kings, in which he put up 16 points and 5 rebounds, hitting 3 of 5 three-pointers. I mean, you know, they gave, obviously... They had to give it. They matched the max offer that the Nets gave Porter, so he's getting paid a max contract. And the Wizards, maybe it's because management has put pressure on them, or maybe because they finally figured out that Porter's a really good third player. They focused on getting Porter the ball. They've got him more involved. He's handling the ball a little bit more. They're getting him more open looks. They're trying to make sure that you know they get the value worth of a max contract from Otto Porter. And so far, I mean, 19 points, eight rebounds, three steals, two and a half assists. I mean, he was one of the best shooters in the league last year. He looks to continue shooting that well this year, but scoring more, rebounding more, playing more. Um, he's up to a career high. 34.4 minutes per game so ultimately because of all those factors because I think that the Wizards will continue to make make him a really big focal point of the offense I'm going to predict with my half court heave that Otto Porter wins most improved player of the year wow that you you made such a strong case I, I believe it too I'm right there with you I, <laughs> at first I, I hadn't really thought of my most improved player as of yet but Otto Porter wasn't in my mind I don't know why because I saw the game against he played against the Warriors and he was very solid. In fact, you know, against the Lakers, he's been solid. But the way you, you present everything, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that Washington has taken the time to focus on development with him, especially to justify the max contract. Because I've seen a couple of those now where you, you see the play, you know, the team feels like they have to give them to justify, give maximum to keep the max contract, usually restricted free agents. Okay, we'll match it. He will keep him for five years, whatever, whatever million. And then he is the exact same player just getting paid 12 million more than he was originally, 13 million more. So for them to go, okay, you know what? We believe that you're max player. We max you out. Now we're going to give you the opportunity to become that, that breakout player, even to even put you in a position where Eric can go on a podcast and go, Hey, he, he can be the most. <laughs> player. I, I agree with you. That's, that's I, I'm, I agree. That's all I got to say about that one. All right, good. See, it's nice, it's nice to know that I made a compelling enough case to convince someone. Um, and I'm going to start probably starting. I'm going to I'm going to have to start uh, my auto porter for most improved player campaign on Twitter starting in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see how many more people I can convince. But uh, that's those are our, <laughs> those are our half court heaves, and 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 now we'll be moving to our three points.
All right, so a three-point segment, of course, if you haven't listened to the show with our new segment, Style, is just three random points that Corbin and I have about the NBA. Um, I'll get us started, and I'll do my first point, and then we can go to your first point, Corbin, and and just keep going one and one and one and and stuff like that. So let's get into it, my first three-point of the week. Um, It's an interesting one. It's one that is obviously speculative. It's not kind of – there's no basis with it with actual concrete evidence. But I'm just saying that Jason Kidd is not the right coach for the Bucks, And I'm going to say it like that. I'm going to make a comparison. I think what Jason Kidd kind of reminds me of, the situation with Kidd as the coach for the Bucks, who are, who are good but not great team yet. Obviously, they're young. Obviously, Giannis has taken over as like a top five player MVP candidate. Parker's out and won't be uh, back until midseason. And we don't know what his, you know, he's had two ACL tears. They've got some nice supporting players, some young players like Brogdon and uh, Thon Makur, which I actually learned about. The pronou- the actual pronunciation is Thon Makur, not Maker. Um, so I'm trying my best to pronounce it right. Um, they've got some nice pieces. But ultimately, I feel like this is like Mark Jackson with the Warriors. You know, Mark Jackson leads the Warriors to 50 wins. They, they make the playoffs. I think they lost in a tough first-round series. And he's not brought back. Now, there were some kind of issues between him and management. Ultimately, they bring in Steve Kerr, and Steve Kerr unlocks the Warriors. He unlocks... Steph and Clay and Draymond with this free-flowing shooting offense, much more exciting, much more dynamic, obviously, and obviously they go on to have unparalleled success. They're so good that they can recruit KD, and the rest is history. I feel like there's the next coach for the Bucks that will take them over the edge. You know, Jason Kidd's a fine coach to, to kind of get them going, you know, win 45 to 47 games, you know, each year with this kind of core, I feel like ultimately Bucks management will have to realize that there's another coach out there somewhere that's more dynamic, can unlock Giannis and and the role players even more. um, And ultimately that coach can kind of unlock them and, and have them win 50 plus games and become a true contender in the Eastern Conference. I just think that kids lack of adjustments. Um, his strange rotations over the past season or two, you know, barely playing Monroe to playing him a lot. Um, you know, Toledovic is hit or miss with his minutes and stuff like that. The, the, the inconsistent rotations. I mean, I was watching that Celtics-Bucks game at the at the Mecca with that throwback court on a Thursday, and, and there were some down the stretch of that fourth quarter. Uh, there were no adjustments made by the Bucks. Meanwhile, the Celtics kept making adjustment after adjustment and ultimately pulled away in Milwaukee. So I was just so frustrated with that that, you know, although Kid hasn't been terrible, I just think that there's another coach that will unlock the Bucks and you know lead them to 50 plus wins and even more playoff success than Jason Kidd will. So that's my first point of the week, Corbin. I'll let you take it away with your first point. All right. So my first point, I was actually just thinking about what you said. I watched the Celtics game as well, and I was like, wow, that was crazy. But my first point is actually in Indiana. Victor Oladipo, Demantis Sabanis, the throw-ins from the Paul George trade have been thriving in Indiana, and Oladipo in particular has emerged as the number one option for Indiana, and that's been as expected, but even more so in the absence of Miles Turner. But he has definitely delivered. I just want to go over his production over his last three games, but he had 28 points on 11 of 16 shooting with three rebounds and three assists against Minnesota, and then he went off against his former team, Oklahoma City, to the tune of 35 points on 11 of 18 shooting, five of eight from three, with five rebounds, and then capped it off with this strong performance today against the Spurs that included 23 points on 50% shooting, four rebounds, five assists, and we can't forget the game-winning three. <laughs> and for the, for the season, he's averaged 16 points, 4.4 rebounds, and 3.7 assists. But his fellow teammate, Sabanis, has also played much improved as well. He's averaged 11.2 points on 57.9% shooting, 
to go along with 9.8 rebounds and 2.2 assists and only 24.6 minutes per game. And I think tonight's game against the Spurs basically just kind of put all together their two combined play as far as they combined for 45 points on 26 of 33 shooting, 3 of 4 from 3, and 10 of 12 from the free throw line, along with 16 rebounds, 7 assists, and a steal and a block, just from those two. And it's just been, you know, you could chalk it up to increased development over the summer, a more expanded role for Victor Oladipo. I mean, they were already, I refuse to believe they were boo-boo in Oklahoma City, and then all of a sudden turned to top-tier role players supporting cast members. I think it's a little in-between. And also, it's going to be interesting to see if the two are as efficient and productive when Turner returns. But right now, these two are definitely making Kevin Pritchard look good as a survey of talent and potential. They've, they've definitely been living up to the bill. And they've had some games now where you can say, okay, th- there's definitely been some improvement here. It's not 2016 playoffs, Victor Oladipo, <laughs> and all out of the rotation, Demantis Sabonis. Yeah, and uh, it's been great. I mean, it's it's hard not yeah. to root for Oladipo and Sabonis. Oladipo, we have to. I mean, I don't think people are talking about this enough. Obviously, we had a good game today with that game-winning three and twenty-three points, as you mentioned. For the season, he's averaging twenty-six points per game on fifty percent shooting and forty-five percent shooting on threes. He's. I mean, his assists are at only at two point eight, which is below his career average of three point seven. But his rebounding is at a career high. Obviously, his scoring is at a career high, and he's doing it very efficiently. And then, of course, Sabonis. I think it's as you mentioned. It's not just. It's not, it's not that they've just drastically improved because, you know, people obviously last year said Westbrook had no help. And obviously there's no way Oladipo and Sabonis took this big of a jump in one offseason. I think it's a combination of one. It was tough to play in OKC last year, both because of Russ, the way Russ was handling the offense. And two, just the way they were kind of the, the Thunder offense was just kind of placing them. Like Sabonis was used as a floor spacing big, even though he wasn't really a shooter. Now he's getting on the inside. He's getting into the post. And he's showing off his post moves. He's showing off his improvement down there. You can't just have Sabonis standing at the three-point line. And Oladipo, you know, being a side piece doesn't really make him that effective. He's not a great spot-up player, an off-ball cutter and stuff like that. So putting the ball in his hands has, has really improved a lot. So I think it's, as you mentioned, a combination of both them being, you know, used better and then also kind of taking a couple of steps forward as development but it's great to see and it's, it's a great first point by you I should have I really completely I've been I've been a, kind of not obsessed with how good they have been but just kind of focused on it and I forgot about including them in my three points so uh, I have to thank you for bringing that up and um, my second point of the week is kind of a general one it's, it's pretty much focused on the Clippers but it's, it still can be applied to any team and I'm basically saying that it's possible for a player, you know, for both to be true, that a player is great and for a team to be better without him. You know, I'm not saying that the Clippers are better without Chris Paul because we don't know yet. It's still early. I still think that their ceiling is limited as a team without Chris Paul down the stretch of a season season and in the playoffs just as a great floor general and point guard. But it wouldn't be impossible for that to be the case, for the Clippers to actually be better without Chris Paul just because of some underlying factors like the, you know, teamwork and, and you know, chemistry in, in in the locker room, on the floor, and then off the court. You know, obviously, Chris Paul, we know of how overbearing he can be with his leadership style, and that, that probably didn't gel well with guys like Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan and stuff like that. And we'll see if it, it flows if it flows with uh, James Harden moving forward because Chris Paul has not been playing uh, in the past five games. So 
I'm just trying to say that Chris Paul obviously is an all-time great, but it's still possible that the Clips could be better without him due to these underlying factors that don't actually happen with his level of play on the court. Only time will tell if the Clips are actually better, but at least they look fun, they look healthy, and you know they're enjoying it more. I'm just saying that people are going crazy with, oh, the Clips are better with the Clippers are better without Chris Paul, and oh, Chris Paul is overrated because the Clippers are better without him, and the Rockets are winning without him. I'm just saying that it's possible for both a player to be great and for a team to be better without him. You can take it away with your second point. Wow, that, that was good. All right. Well, I'm going to take it up east. And I'm, I'm going to ask again. I mentioned this during our first podcast, but is it time? Should we worry about the Cavs? I, I, they're currently 3-4 and four with this loss to the Knicks. It's obvious the Cavs are still trying to figure it out. They've had five different starting lineups. They've had Derrick Rose go on with an ankle injury for three games. They've had LeBron play the point guard. They've had Amon Shumpert start a point guard. But to me, mostly it's who they're losing to and how they're losing. And just this past week, they've gone one and two. They beat a team they probably should have against the hapless. But they've also given up one against the Nets, the Pelicans, and, and now the Knicks. The loss against the Nets is not the wire. I, I kind of disregard that. They only lost by five. At one point, they could have tied it, but LeBron missed a free throw. And it's kind of funny to say this, but you can't deny that Spencer didn't when he went off down the stretch. <laughs> and you got to factor that in. But... Then you go and lose by 16 to the Pelicans and lose by 19 to the Knicks. You allow both teams to shoot better than 47% from the field. Both teams shot better than 39% from three. And looking at some defensive possessions here, that's almost inexcusable defense, in my opinion, for a team with championship aspirations, even if it's so early in the year. I think tightening that up is, is just a major start for them to, to uptick in the right direction. I think the offense will come. But if you can't stop anyone on that end and you keep them giving up wide open threes, and I first saw this against Orlando where, yes, they were just bombing away from three, but they they had that time to, and I see LeBron do this once in a while. You know when you're so open, Steph Curry too, you get the ball, you get that warm-up dribble to get into your motion and then you let it fly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if they yeah. had a statistic on <laughs> warm-up open threes that are given up, Cleveland would lead the league by far. Their defense is just, you, you can't excuse that. And, and again, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm worried at this point because this team doesn't look, it's not like last year where, oh, you know, if they get their defense together, yeah, it's bad, but they'll, they'll snap out of it by by June. I, I'm, I'm starting to see some question marks here. And so I want to ask, what do you think about it? I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I have two I'm opinions, a, really, because I think that on the one hand, yes, I'm, I would be concerned. And on the other hand, I'm like, let me just wait until the playoffs and see if their defense is still bad, which I think it will be, because last year their defense was terrible in the regular season, and then it was it was good enough to just have them blow through the East again. And again, the East is not that strong again, especially with the Celtics missing Hayward for the year. So I think that the Cavs could probably get away with it for another year. But the bigger concerning aspect, so right now the Cavs have the 27th ranked defense with a defensive rating of 109.4. Their net rating is a negative 5.4, which obviously is not good at all. It is early, but they've been losing to some bad teams, Nets and Knicks. And uh, it's a funny side note that I'm pretty sure you saw it. I think you actually tweeted it out that during that uh, Nets-Cavs game, they actually tweeted out like, the Nets broadcast had the key matchup as LeBron James versus Spencer Dinwiddie, and Dinwiddie ended up probably winning the matchup. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I laughed so hard when I saw it, too, because it was midway through third quarter, and I looked to find no one better. And then, thinking of the game, like five minutes after, and I was like, you know what? 
Spencer Dinwiddie was huge for this right here. I was like, did he win? And, and, and that's hilarious. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> The, and the final oh thing I the, the final thing I want to say about the Cavs defense and their concerns is that they're the players they added Dwayne Wade, Jeff Green, Derrick Rose, um, to an extent Jose Calderon right now, and then ultimately Isaiah Thomas when he comes back in probably January. Those are all players that will not help the defense as the course as the season goes on. They're old. They're not good defensive players anymore. They don't have the effort to like Dwayne Wade will not be putting in a hundred percent effort defensively every night. Isaiah Thomas, no matter how much hard he tries, is a bad defender. Derrick Rose is a pretty bad defender. Calderon is horrible defensively. Jeff Green has the skill set but doesn't really apply it. So they don't have the pieces to improve defensively. So I don't want to – I really just don't want to hear anymore that the Cavs are a threat to the Warriors when their defense we know is never going to be good enough to stop the Warriors. Their offense might be good enough to hang with the Warriors' offense, but the Warriors' defense is on – three different levels above the Cavs defense, even when both are at their best, which is the most concerning part with the Cavs. You know, I don't really, I'm not really concerned about them losing regular season games. They could finish as the sixth seed in the East. And I still think I'd probably pick them to make the finals, but it's all about looking at their defense when they're trying to guard the Warriors. And it is going to be ugly if it stays like this. That's just, that's what I have to say about the Cavs. (laughs) Hey, you you pretty much put a pin on my second point. I'm ready to hear your third one. All right. So uh, I'm going to go, it's, again, somewhat general, but, again, focused on a couple of teams. So I just want to kind of – and this is me included because I was someone who picked the Grizzlies to miss the playoffs this year. I think we should stop counting out teams like the Grizzlies and Spurs until we actually see them falter or struggle or miss the playoffs. Because this was the this was the first year that, you know, some people were picking the Spurs to be a four seed. Um, a lot of people were picking the Grizzlies, myself included, to miss the playoffs. But it's it's just – as long as Gasol and injury, Gasol and Conley, I was going to say injury because I was going to say Gasol and Conley, as long as they're healthy and avoiding injuries, um, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. And now that, you know, the Grizz, they're not really true grit and grind anymore. Their defense is still good, but they're, you know, they run more in transition. They're more athletic. They're more fun to watch, but they still can put the clamps on you defensively. And then you've got the Spurs continuing to win without Kawhi. Obviously, they've lost two straight now, especially with that old depot three we mentioned before, but they've got they can have guys step up from anywhere obviously Lamarcus Aldridge is a I think a four or five time all-star um he stepped up this year 25.6 points per game 9.2 rebounds per game 2.2 assists per game hitting 51.6 percent of his shots I just think that and I have to kind of include myself in this is just we have to stop counting these teams out until we actually see them you know out of the playoffs and falter down the stretch of a season. Until then, we just got to give the benefit of the doubt to the Spurs and Grizzlies and kind of put them in the playoff race every time because that's just what these teams do. They're just so organized from top to bottom. They just know what they're doing. They've got stars that know how to win and know how to play the game the right way. Uh, until we see them falter or struggle, we got to stop counting out teams like the Grizzlies and Spurs. And that will conclude my three points, and I'll let you finish off with yours. All right, so you mentioned yours being general. Mine are, are general shout-outs. I only have two, but just shedding light on, on a team and a player that I, I thought did pretty good this week, the Detroit Pistons. And this is including today's win just now over the Golden State Warriors, 115-107. But they're 5-2. and two. I, the, Their play has – I don't want to say it's been slept on. I think it's been pretty minor. But it, it's – they come in, they beat the Clippers. Now they beat the Warriors on the back-to-back. That That – it's just crazy to me. Reggie Jackson's been playing solid. Andre Drummond has been just completely different as far as from the free throw line. I think he's playing more to his strengths. He's getting l- less out of that Dwight Howard. I must get the ball for six, seven touches in the post. He he He's kind of 
filling, you know, pick and roll. They've just been playing better. And seeing this scrappy win over the Warriors, they, they, they came, they held them at bay. Golden State went on a pre front. They kept putting them down. Avery Bradley came with 23. I think I think the Pistons are, are, are shaping to be the, the bounce-back Piston team that makes the playoffs that we've been, and this is early to say, but that we've been hoping to see since the 2015 playoffs. So that's something to keep an eye on. And my, my, my last little shout-out here is to DeMarcus Cousins. Cousins has been boogieing this week. Against the Trailblazers, he had 39 points with 13 rebounds and three assists. Then his return game against Kings, I think there is no actual statistic yet, I don't think, for this. But this has to be one of the best revenge for old team games <laughs> that have that have happened. It's on 14-25 shooting with 23 rebounds. It's a 41-23 game. That was just a beast game. And then, two days later against Cleveland, they romp the Cavs. He has 29 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. I think if DeMarcus keeps playing this way, he, he seems to be a lot more composed, a lot more held together. He, he, he's attacking from the inside, from the outside, from mid-range. It seems like he's putting it all together. Honestly, and, and honestly, this probably could have been my half-court heave, but if he keeps this play... The Pelicans get somewhere between 40 wins. I think you know where I'm going with this, Eric. (laughs) And with Kawhi being out for an extended period of time, maybe we could boogie Cousins into the MVP conversation. Hot take, I know, but I I just wanted to throw that out there. I've liked his play, and it's, it's, it's definitely been just a revelation for someone who likes Cousins and just wanted to see him on a team. They're, 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 They're not a great team, but they are better than the Kings. Yeah. And... Yeah. Just seeing him put together these types of numbers over a sustained stretch for the season, he's averaging 30, 32 points, 13 rebounds, and five assists, five and a half assists, I think is just solid play for him. So that was my third point, just giving some shout-outs, showing some love. I appreciate the shout-outs, especially to the Pistons. I'd like to see them. They just swept a back-to-back at the Clippers and the Warriors, and I'm happy about that because I picked them to make the playoffs this year, and it looks like they are stepping their game up after a disappointing year last year. So... Those were our three points of the week, and now we'll move on to Something Foul. Now, it's time for Something Foul. All right, Something Foul, in case if you haven't listened to our previous episode, Something Foul is basically our worst of the week where we kind of, you know, shed light on someone or some organization that's done wrong in our eyes, apparently. I'm going to start off quickly. I just want to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers because their mismanagement of the Markel Fultz injury, the way they misled the public and then they kind of played the blame game with Fultz and his agent, um, kind of blaming them instead of the organization themselves. It's just such a terrible look for an organization that has dealt with so many injured players in the past. Obviously, Embiid, Simmons has been injured prone or had one injury. Noel suffered some injuries during his time in Philadelphia. Okafor had some injuries as well. It's just not a good look for an organization to blame their top pick, guy they traded up for in a pretty interesting trade now that looks like Fultz. It was announced today that Fultz is out indefinitely with that shoulder injury. Um, It's just not a good look whenever you kind of mismanage the injury, make poor decisions, and then kind of get involved in this blame game with Fultz and his agent. It's not a good look for the organization themselves. And quickly, I want to point out a shout out to the Rockets as well, because the Rockets are one of those teams that people people don't talk about enough, but they really do mislead people on injury. So of course, of course, the biggest one is Chris Paul. A first when he was 
he left the Warriors game early and he obviously missed the Kings game the next night. They said he was, you know, going to miss the game or two. He's day to day. And then someone else, it was Mark Stein, but someone else had to report that he would miss up to a month or at least a couple of weeks. The Rockets never said anything like that. And you know, deep down, they, all the information they have, they know that he, they knew he was going to be out for more than a couple of games at worst, at best. And then they have this Trevor Ariza injury. At first, they report that Ariza is going to miss the entire road trip this week. They played at Philly, at Charlotte, and at Memphis, finishing the game at Memphis yesterday on Saturday. When when Ariza returned to play against Memphis, the team was surprised, and they said that they that they thought he would be up they out out up to two to three weeks. Why didn't they say that in the first place? Why do they just say he's out for the road trip? I don't understand when these teams like to mislead and not give enough information to their fans and to other media members and stuff like that. It's just a poor look for organizations to not be upfront with injuries and be honest. So my something foul or worst of the week are the Philadelphia 76ers with a smaller shade thrown to the Houston Rockets and their uh, medical staff. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to pick right where you left off with that and throw – to one major shade and one minor shade as well, but this is to an event. I'm going back to the altercation between Draymond Green and Bradley Beal and how the NBA reacted to that. Um, it just came down a little bit ago, I want to say um, six hours ago, that the NBA had suspended um, Washington Wizards guard Carrick Felix and Markeith Morris for one game each for leaving the bench during that altercation between Bradley Beal and Draymond Green, and they fined Beal $50,000 for initiating the incident, and Green was fined 25000 with Kelly Oubre Jr. being fined 15000 for aggressively entering the altercation. I thought, or, or I think that when you have an altercation as such where you have it spilling into, not spilling into the stands, just... It was, it was a little more... It was like a melee. That's how I look at it. It was a little bigger than just, oh, the standard... Bump, getting each other's face, Kevin Durant head bump. It was, it was a little bigger than that to me. And I thought maybe if you're going to put a stamp and go, okay, you know, we don't want any of this moving forward. A one-game suspension. I don't I don't see why you spend Markeith and, and Carrick Felix for leaving, although, yes, they shouldn't have left, when Kelly Oubre was out there hitting folks and saying that he didn't throw any punches when several videos showed that, yes, you did, sir. And then Bill and Green, I, I, that definitely was no minor amount of money, but... Come on now. I, I just feel you. they could have put a stronger stance on that. That's my own take. I give a minor shade to Bradley Beal. I, I, I don't see how you lost your cool on that. I've looked at the replay several times. I mean, yeah, it gets physical down there. Draymond Green was probably talking trash. I get it. But he, he tried a little bit of a cheap shot there. And one thing turned to another. And now we have your fellow teammates missing games when they're healthy or ever get off the bench. Something that that started here, you know, it was, it was all meaningless to me. That's how I look at it. And it, and you could because Golden State takes everything and uses it as ammunition and us against them. That it really kickstarted their whole come from behind one twenty one seventeen victory. I mean, that's that's stretching it, but you could say that. So that, that's my shade for those two. I, I don't know. I just I didn't like the whole deal, how it handled, how it went down, everything. Yeah, I totally feel like that. I could I could see it totally being a jump start for the Warriors making that comeback. So. We both got some interesting something fouls or or worst of the week, and uh, I think you good to go to the N one. Hey, let's do it. I'm about to say at this point, we're gonna take it to our last segment, the and one. Finally, it's time for the N one. All right, so Eric, I, I'm gonna make my N one real quick before I. 
before I take it off to you, close it out. But I'm looking forward to seeing, as far as the animal being what we're looking forward to seeing, just, just shortly, how the Cleveland Cavaliers come back off of this loss. You know, over the next couple of days, I think there's already an article coming already out about how the Cavs hit a new low by getting destroyed by the Knicks at home. That's an actual headline of a title. You know, they're going to get a lot of questions, have a lot of flack about it, and have all of us doomsday NBA prophesiers going, oh my God, it's the end. Maybe the Pacers make it to the finals. But, you know, <laughs> how will they rebound? They have a couple of days off. They don't have a game until Wednesday against the Pacers. Then they have a game against the Wizards and the Hawks. The Wizards will be a, a nice test for them you have a very competitive team you see where you are as far as okay now we have a team that 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 will actually it's not just a team that we're going to lose if we if we beat it's like oh we should have beat them it seems going to give you a bite back and you have the hawks and and the hawks hopefully hopefully with cleveland i don't know right now but the hawks are a team that you that you should be able to go in there and get a victory they're like the bulls to me but it's going to be interesting to see with a couple days practice a couple days more rest if the Cavaliers can get it together and, and just start moving forward. It's, it's not the end of the world, but it is something to think about, and hopefully they can rebound in a major way, especially since Tuesday, November 7th, they have the Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing to look out for and obviously something everyone should be looking out for, and I'm just looking out for um, will we be getting a LeBron James subtweet to his team or a certain player for not playing defense um i think i would place a bet on that coming either tonight or tomorrow or if not maybe it's a whole different lebron maybe he has wade now he can just kind of vent to him when they have their little wine sessions um i'm just saying we gotta i'm more interested in if there's a lebron james subtweet um and then obviously i'm gonna also pay attention to their defense this upcoming you know stretch of games but I am also going to be keeping an eye on the Cavs and for my end one I'm actually going to keep it in the east and I'm going to go back to the magic because I'm so fascinated with it I love it when a team comes out of nowhere to potentially be good and that's why I'm quasi rooting for the magic is I'm the thing I'm looking for is can the magic keep it up I mean here are their next five games they've got at the Pelicans at the Grizzlies home against the Bulls home against the Celtics, and home against the Knicks. There are some tough games in there. At Pelicans, at Grizzlies, hosting the Celtics. Those are some three tough games. And you've got Chicago and the Knicks, who are probably not tough games. But again, we don't know how good this Magic team is. They're capable. So far this season, they've been capable of beating anybody, but then losing to anybody as well. So I'm just focused on, can the Magic keep it up? Are they truly... You know, by the time they finish this five-game stretch, they will be—they will have played over ten games. That's a decent enough sample size. I think after this five-game stretch, if they can go three and two, maybe even two and three, um, we'll see how good they are as a, as a team. And I'm, I'm quasi rooting for them, as I mentioned, because I love it when a team comes out of nowhere that everyone expects to be pretty bad and just turns out to be, you know, good enough to make the playoffs, even if it is the Eastern Eastern Conference. So my end one of the week is focusing on the magic and focusing if they can keep it up their their good start over these next five games which with a couple of tough ones there so that will close it out for this week's episode of the 94 feet report nba podcast with corbin and myself again you can follow me on twitter at eric spiros nba you can check out um, the 94 feet report website um you can check us out at 94feetreport.com or you can follow us on Twitter at the 94feetreport, which is where you, of course, will get updates for this podcast as well. Um, just again, a reminder that starting this week, probably this Thursday, we will be recording another episode. So we'll have two episodes per week. We'll have a uh, pretty much an hour long episode Mondays and then 
Thursdays or Fridays, we'll have like a 30-ish minute episode, just kind of a free-flowing, fun one to lead you guys into the weekend. So look out for that on Thursday. And Corbin, you can throw out where people can find your work and where they can follow you on Twitter before we get out of here. All right. Well, you can always follow me, Corbin Ford NBA. Really just retweeting some fun stuff I see from Eric or people I like. I may throw in some observations, you know, just some funny little stuff. I, I, I advise you to check it out. Um, but also, at 94feetreport.com, great content. I, I, I'm going to start adding some more of my own with just some things I've been seeing and, and things I want to add. But every morning, there's some new article and something cool to read by just the amazing staff that Eric has over there. So definitely check that out. Oh, myself included. Um, and see the stuff that's going on down there. But other than that, I'm really excited for this upcoming week. I'm going to be doing those two podcasts a week and look forward to being a part of this. Thanks again, Eric. No problem. All right, guys, follow us on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report, and we'll see you guys on uh, Thursday with our next episode. Take care.